Perfect. Thank you very much. And uh, actually, Vicky, you can stay up here. Because Vicky and Jamie are going to be doing a tag team this morning on a Karanar series on a life of a prophet. Um, and actually, I realized yesterday, actually just before then, does everyone know there's 59 days until Christmas, just to let you know? There's 59 days and counting 59 days. Um, I realize, actually, because obviously you two, you know, you preach and you speak up the front, but I've never asked you the three questions. <laughs> I didn't tell you this beforehand. So, so three questions. What's your favorite Bible verse and why? Or, or book? Um, what is the color of your toothbrush and what do you do to relax? What do you do to relax? Who wants to go first? Mainly because this is only one of the Bible verses I can think of right now, thanks for the notice. Um, actually, it's one that we've spoken about in our ladies' week. It's Philippians 4.13. Um, I can't even remember it off by heart. About I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the one. Yeah, that. Uh, my toothbrush is an electric toothbrush. It's white with a little red band. What was your other question? <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've got my thing on. It worked. Thank you very much. Thanks to Graham. Yeah, yeah good. Okay, so. Three things. Three you things. as well, Jamie. <laughs> I was looking for, where's, where's Graham? He's gone. Oh, he's gone. All right, so three things. Bible verse, Isaiah 55, 11. This is the preacher's verse, right? This, this gives us total peace when we, when we preach. Because yes. God's word does not return void. All right? So Amen. I like that one. Like that one. Uh, so uh, also a toothbrush. We technically share a toothbrush. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. I was about to say, that, that is true love. But I tell you That's what. That's two uh, becoming one. But, uh, you know, it's a good opportunity to talk about interdentals. I've suddenly, I've got into interdentals. Yeah. If you haven't tried those, they're really good. Have you tried, do you use those? I'm not sure I know what they are, what <laughs> to be honest. You've got to try it. It'll be good for you. What, flossing? It's better than flossing. It's better, yeah, it's better than flossing. It is more flossing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. And what yeah. do you do in your downtime? Yeah, so I, I, uh, I spend time with my wife and we, yeah, we do. Yeah, you should have said that one, yeah. We, um, but I like to do artwork. Artwork, yes. Yeah, yeah. Creative. Well, let's just pray as we start. Father God, I just thank you. Uh, that we get to go into your Bible and learn about specific people in depth. And I thank you for everything Jamie and Vicky have prepared. And I just pray that, that by your Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to each one of us in this room now. Lord God, I pray that we have hearts that are open, Lord, ears that are open to what you are saying and doing with us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Okay, so this morning, first of all, I have to say, my name is Jamie, and I am one of the leaders here at the Vine Church Pool. Now, together with my wife, Vicky, this morning, who heads up our operational work, we are going to conclude our series on the life of a prophet. And we're talking to you this morning about Miriam, okay? So over the last few weeks, we have looked at the minor prophets. So who can remember who they are? 
Haggai, the first one, Haggai, yep, or Haggai. We agree it's Haggai. Yeah, it's Haggai. Okay, Haggai. Zephaniah and Gad. Fantastic. Really good. It's good. So today is Miriam. Remember Miriam. Okay, so uh, when we looked at Haggai, Haggai was all about rebuilding the temple. Okay, sorry. Haggai was all about rebuilding the temple. Zephaniah focused on obedience and restoration. And we saw Gad helping David uh, to see his dangerous pride. Okay, the three prophets that we've heard about so far, uh, they all have a warning for the people. However, that is not the case with Miriam. Yes, Lon. Hey, good morning again. Um, So I'm just going to give you a little bit of background about Miriam, just so that we can learn a little bit more about her. So prior to uh, Moses' birth, Pharaoh had decreed that all baby boys that were born should be thrown into the Nile. Now, when Moses was born, he was not thrown into the Nile. Um, And in fact, his mother saw that he was a beautiful child, and instead she hid him for three months. Now, when she couldn't hide him any longer, she placed him in a basket, um, which she had made, and she put him um, in the reed banks along the Nile. Now, imagine Miriam, we think she would have been around nine years old. So she was was quite young, just a year older than than Isaac is now. Um, And she would have spent three months with her little baby brother. She would have grown to love him. She would have probably helped her mother in looking after him. She would have spent time with him. Okay, and Miriam would have been complicit in going against the order made by Pharaoh, okay, in throwing uh, baby boys into the Nile. So she was part of that. Now, in Exodus 2.4, we read, And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Okay, so Miriam is, is far back. Okay, Moses has been put in the reed beds along the Nile, and Miriam is, you know, a fair way away, and she is just watching. She is observing what is happening to her baby brother. And um, as most of us will be aware, Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, and she feels sorry for him. She knows that he is a Hebrew baby, and here we see Miriam very courageously steps forward. Okay, so um, after some time, Miriam has been observing for a little while. After some time, she steps forward. She goes up to Pharaoh's daughter. This girl who is nine years old, very bravely, goes to Pharaoh's daughter, and she says, shall I get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Um, Which is an amazing thing to do in itself. And Pharaoh's daughter says, yes. Okay, and so Miriam goes to get one of the Hebrew women, and the Hebrew women that she gets is hers and Moses' mother. Uh, what's even more incredible, perhaps, is that Pharaoh's daughter says that she will pay Moses' mother to nurse him. And I was thinking about this a bit, thinking, wow, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, we've got two children, and if someone said to me, can I pay you? I'd probably be like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take that money from you. Um, and so, and so just as I said at the beginning, you know, it, it would have taken great courage for Miriam to have spoken up. You know, she was, she was doing something really brave there in approaching, in approaching Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's daughter knew that it was a Hebrew baby. They knew that he should have not been there, not been alive. Um, and so in Miriam doing that, actually, this brought about an action which her mother probably would have never have dreamt of. Okay, I'm sure Moses' mother probably thought, 
you know, I can't imagine what's going to happen to him. And suddenly, not only is he still alive, she's got him back and she's being paid to look after him. I mean, that's, that's a pretty awesome thing to happen. Now, after this time, um, it's likely that Moses probably spent around 12 years with his birth family. Okay, So he would have learned all about their ways. Um, he would have spent time with his older brother Aaron, with his sister Miriam, and it would have been a time where foundations and heritage would have been built in to um, his life. And then after this time, he would have gone to the palace, where we understood that he probably had a really good education. And he would have had a really different life from the rest of his family who were slaves. You see, this is, this is one of the things that I think makes Miriam a prophet because um, she had a focus. During that time, Pharaoh was killing babies and Miriam amazingly had hope. Um, you know, she, and I think it's that hope that was driving her to do the things that she did in, in technically saving her brother. So um, when we look at Moses, Moses, he wasn't really an Israelite slave. He'd, he'd not had that experience. And he wasn't an Egyptian prince either. Um, and then it is that Moses kills the Egyptian, and then he goes away for 40 years. Where is Moses now? Miriam uh, saw the baby that she had protected, the person that she thought was special and would make a difference had gone. Would she have felt confused or let down? Where was her hope now? Then there was the burning bush, and after 40 years, Moses came back to Egypt. There were plagues. Aaron became Moses' spokesman. What was going through Miriam's head at the time? Miriam would have seen the plagues. She would have seen six months of trials, more babies dying. Did she remain faithful, hopeful, obedient? And then there was Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea. Okay, so after Moses has led his people through the Red Sea, um, he leads the people in song. So we see this in the beginning of Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, and we're not going to read all of that because it's quite long, but I would encourage you to, to have a look at that. Um, but I want you to, to note in particular uh, chapter 15, verse 1. And this says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Now, if we go into Exodus 15 a little further... Uh, uh, 15 verse 20, we read that Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out with her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So here we see that she is repeating exactly what Moses said at the beginning of uh, that chapter. Miriam is also identified here as a prophetess. She is leading the women in song. She is making it clear that it is for God's glory that they have been delivered. We see here Miriam is a leader. Okay, and uh, this is a really, just a really important point to focus on as well. Um, God chose Miriam. 
chose her. And we read about that in Micah 6, 4. Uh, And in that verse, it says, For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. God named Miriam. And that's something really important for us to to hold on to. Okay, so we're going to skip on ahead a bit now. So um, if you've got your Bibles with you or your smartphones or whatever it is that you use, um, do you want to turn with me please to Numbers chapter 12? And we're going to go through that. So we're going to read first uh, verses 1 to 9. And this is titled, Miriam and Aaron Oppose Moses. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out you three to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forward. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, clearly and not in riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Okay, let's get, let's get to the nitty-gritty. Was Miriam racist? I'm going to skip on, actually, because um, there, is, there is stuff written about this issue of racism. Uh, you know, obviously, the Kushite woman was different. She probably had different colored <laughs> skin. You know, what, what was going on here? Either way. Miriam had screwed up big time. And I think she would have known it the moment those words left her mouth. Do you know what that feeling is like? You said something, you can't take it back. Miriam probably started it, and Aaron followed. There appeared to be some prejudice here, that's for certain, against Moses' wife. But... Miriam's prejudice, I'm convinced, is a pretense for a deeper issue. In this case, it wasn't that Miriam hadn't just forgotten her place in this story. More importantly, she'd forgotten God's place in this story. She was questioning God's glory and his decision in choosing Moses to lead. In verse 3, it says that Moses was meek more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And this talks of God's glory. She had stopped looking towards God for a moment. We don't know how long, but if you take your eye off of God, you will inevitably end up looking to self. In Numbers 12, 
in verse 10, it says, when the cloud removed from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous like snow. And Aaron turned towards Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, do not punish us because we have done foolishly and have sinned. Let her not be as one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried to the Lord, O God, please heal her, please. But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. So Miriam was shut outside the camp seven days, and the people did not set out on the march until Miriam was brought in again. After that, the people set out from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Haran. Okay, so as we've gone through those verses there, firstly, we're going to note that Aaron was not punished. Aaron was not made leprous. As Jamie mentioned earlier on, it is very likely that it was because Miriam had instigated the discontent. She was the first one that said, oh, you know, what do you think about Moses' wife? Not too sure about her. Um, And Aaron just went along with it. Um, However, as we read there, Aaron is aware of their foolish actions, and he knows that he has sinned. Um, So it is likely that he would have repented of his sin. (coughs) More specifically, in verse 14, we read, But the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut outside the camp seven days, and after that she may be brought in again. Now, Miriam had shamed her father. He is furious. Now, I'm going to kind of set the scene a little bit. So we can imagine, maybe like a family tea time. I'm looking at my own dad here. (laughs) Okay, so imagine I have made my dad really angry. I would never do that. I've never made him that. Uh, Imagine I've made him really angry, and I have brought shame upon him, okay? And he is so mad, so mad that he leans across the table, and he spits in my face. Um, Fortunately, that, that hasn't happened to me. Um, but, and then I had to leave the table. I had to leave the table for seven days. Okay, now I haven't experienced that. My dad hasn't spit in my face. Uh, I'm very glad about that. But the cost and what we're talking about here is very real, okay? What, what would it have been like for Miriam being shut out of the camp for seven days? She was a leader and the Israelites saw her as a leader, Okay, she would have been with Moses, with Aaron. She would have um, spent a lot of time with them, you know, with them in the camp, you know, hanging out. And suddenly she goes from that place of authority at the front, if you like, to leaving, leaving the camp altogether. Um, She was an outcast suddenly. And leprosy is seen as very unclean. No one could go near her. You know, how would that have been for Miriam? What would she have been, been feeling like? Did she feel humbled? Did it put her in her place? Um, was she content with what God wanted for her, which was to be a leader of women under Moses? You see, for us, there is a cost involved with taking up our cross. We need to give our whole self, our, all, our own selfish ambition, As John the Baptist says, he must increase, 
and I must decrease. God made an example out of Miriam. There is forgiveness, but there are still consequences, a cost. Right, now, when we were preparing for this sermon, uh, many of you will know, because I have told quite a lot of you, I'm a bit vocal about this kind of stuff, I was quite worried, I was quite worried about doing this. This is well and truly out of my comfort zone. It's very different from coming up and talking to you about notices and there you go ahead today, just so you know. Um, and I had, I've been really anxious, you know, worrying about what am I going to say? How will I sound? What if wrong words come out of my mouth? Um, you know, will I be good enough? How am I going to manage this? You know, it's, but it's all about me, basically. You know, note the word I in there. I was just worried about myself and how I will feel. But I do think that's a fairly normal thing. It's quite a normal response. And I'm sure that many of you have had situations or maybe you've got stuff coming up or things that you've done more recently where you can think, I don't want to do this. I'm really worried about it. How am I going to do it? Right? Just how am I going to manage it? Um, so it, it is a normal thing. But Jamie reminded me, um, I didn't actually want to hear when Jamie reminded me, because sometimes he reminds me of things and I'm, I'm not really willing to, to take that in, but he, he was right, um, that I didn't need to worry. And the reason that I didn't need to worry was because if I was doing what God had asked me, asked us to do, if we um, were saying God's word, if we were listening to God and being obedient and standing up here and saying what he wants us to say, then I, I was doing exactly the right thing, and therefore I've got no need to worry about that. And as Jamie said at the beginning, his favourite verse, you know, God's word doesn't return void, okay? But for me, worrying about all of those things means that I have forgotten God's face. Like we spoke about Miriam forgetting God's face, I forget God's face in this. So I'm so busy thinking about myself and me being in control that I have just left God like, I don't know, somewhere over there. I'm not even praying, I'm not even asking him because I'm getting myself all worked up and I feel that I need to control the situation and if I can control the situation, then of course everything's going to be absolutely fine, which is not the case, let me tell you. Um, and this dishonours God. So like, like we read about Miriam dishonouring God, actually, it, you know, it seems it's a very different kind of action, but it, it still dishonours God. When I put myself in that place, I'm saying, I don't need you. And, you know, how does that make God feel? But when God is where he needs to be in my life, things run very, very differently. I am peaceful in a completely different way. Um, but I, I learn it. I learn it and I remember it. And then I forget it again and I go ahead and do my own thing again because I think that that's the right way. And then I relearn it and then I forget it again. It's this very kind of backwards and forwards remembering and then forgetting. I'm, I'm very forgetful. I need to work on that. Um, but I want to ask you a question, you know, where should God be in your life? It's not a trick question. God should be first. He should be first in all of our lives, in my life, in your life. And if he is not first in our lives, then that's a problem. And we need to do something about that. We can be restored by his blood. Let God reach every part of your life. Have you ever prayed for him to conquer your sin and then actively work towards achieving that sin? In other words, have you asked him to conquer the sin and then stood in the way of that sin being conquered? We need God to conquer us. We need God to conquer our whole lives. 
God loved Miriam, and he punished her. We don't want to make the mistake that God punished Miriam because of his preference or love for Moses. He disciplined her because of his love for her. There needed to be a consequence to her actions. All the prophets that we have been, that have been preached on so far are correcting the people. But our prophetess, Miriam, is being corrected herself. In the end, she was restored and brought, brought back into the camp. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam were called. You are called. Isaiah 43, 1, I have called you by name. You are mine. God has chosen us. That's in Ephesians 1, 4. But we must put God first. It was never about how great or courageous Miriam was. It was never about how great or courageous we are. It was always about God and how great he is. Proverbs 22.4 says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Now, we don't hear about Miriam again until Numbers 20, uh, where we hear about her death in Kadesh, where she was buried, and she did not make it to the promised land. Um, in Deuteronomy 24, verses 8 to 9, there's a reminder of what God did to Miriam. And it reads, Take care in a case of leprous disease to be very careful to do according to all that the Levitical priest shall direct you. As I commanded them, so you shall be careful to do. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way as you came out of Egypt. What have we learned about this morning? We have learned about humility. We have learned about honoring our father and putting him first in all that we do. Now, this morning, we are going to break bread together, but we are going to do it a little bit differently from normal. So you will see there are three tables. So we've got one over here, we've got one here, and we've got one at the, the back near the PA desk. Um, and when it's time, Jamie's going to take us through a few more things, and he's going to pray for us. Um, but when it's time, you'll be able to make your way to the tables and there'll be people there to pray with you. Um, this is a meal for believers, so there is no pressure to take the bread and wine. Um, or perhaps this is the first time that you are uh, having this meal and you want to welcome Jesus into your heart. Um, we would be really, really happy to pray for you. Uh, I just want to say as well, though, if you don't want to take the bread and wine this morning for any reason... You know, please still feel very welcome to come up and receive prayer. You know, we'd be really, really happy to pray with you. Okay, so um, actually, while, while I'm doing this, I think the wine might be missing from that one now, and I think it's over by your... Would you mind getting the wine just over there ready? We'll be on that session. Okay, but uh, the, the grape juice, where's that? Oh, sorry, okay, that's good. So... So what can I do? I can ask God to conquer my life. We should, we should humbly serve in the leadership that he has given us under the authority that he has put in place. What will it take to open our eyes? We, are we going to defend ourselves or surrender? Are we going to obey and repent? 
How would you, sorry, who would not prepare the way? Will you stand alone against the false? Will you be a son of God among sons of men? Will you be a citizen of heaven among citizens of the world? Will you have faith in a world of unbelief? Will you do good in a world that loves to do bad? It takes courage. It is a costly grace. It costs everything. Um, Alison gave us a book for the prayer ministry team, and it's Roy Hessian's book, and it's called When I Saw Him. And in there, Roy Hessian writes, as long as we love our righteousness and are not prepared to lose our reputation, we sweep our sins under the carpet, for our pride forbids us to repent. When we see Jesus losing his reputation, his all for us, then we are melted by his love. We're melted by the love of it and we are willing to be broken and to take a sinner's place. We are willing to be known as we really are, to turn back the carpet and allow Jesus to apply his blood that cleanses from all sin. Thomas Acampus said, the Lord has many lovers of his crown, but few lovers of his cross. This is about cheap grace or costly grace. We normally repent of what we did. When was the last time that you repented of who you are? Dear Lord, this morning, I have prayed for you to conquer my sin but I need you to conquer my life. I know that you hate my sin, and I hate it too. Often I have been the one that gets in the way of that particular sin being conquered. I surrender, I prepare the way for your glory in my life and those around me. Amen. So, yeah, we're gonna be at these stations Please take a moment and then come on up and, and share in the bread and wine.